Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. <laughs> it's Abe Lincoln's top hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissler hanging out with Travis Irvine. Greetings from Ohio, Ben. Hello, Travis Irvine. Don't hassle me. I'm a local. And, of course, we also have Fernando. Hola, Ben. Hey, Fernando. Today's episode, it is going to be a fantastic conversation with an ACLU lawyer. Her name is Ellie Rushforth. We talk about immigration. We talk about forced sterilization of said immigrants. We talk about reproductive rights and reproductive justice. So I think you're going to love this interview. Uh, The ACLU has done some fantastic work over the years, specifically when it comes to covering, you know, the war or discussing the war or discussing um, just civil rights and human rights uh, as this country continues to try to become a more perfect union every single year, hopefully, except for the (laughs) fact there are some people out there actively trying to make it worse. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ellie. Travis, did you have anything did you wanted to say up top before we get to uh, before we get to blabbing? Well, I just remembered when uh, Bill O'Reilly called the ACLU uh, a terrorist organization, the, the worst organization <laughs> in America, the most dangerous yeah. organization, second only to Al-Qaeda. So yeah. that's when you know they're doing something right. The ACLU, by the way, they stand by freedom of speech, freedom of choice. The ACLU is fantastic. So Bill O'Reilly, as I'm sure all of you know, he's batshit crazy (laughs) on the radio factor. He called the ACLU. He said, quote, it's the most dangerous organization in the United States of America right now, second only to Al Qaeda. And he said that in 2005, when Al Qaeda was still on everyone's the tip of everyone's (laughs) tongue, even though we financed them for so many years, much like the Taliban. (laughs) Anyway, all right, let's get to our conversation with Ellie. I think you are going to uh, enjoy it, learn something, hopefully. And uh, yeah, hopefully this leads to uh, further conversations with other people around the country, because that's what we need to have. Social media is not a conversation. It's a one way ticket to screaming at your friend. And that's all that it's there for. I actually just read an article and we'll talk about this on the second episode this week. We'll be recording that here tomorrow. It makes all of its money 
off of negative speech. That's it. It's not per se hate speech, but there's a great article that I want to uh, talk about regarding others. So basically the in-group, so let's just say Democrats, the in-group would spend most of its time making fun of Republicans and Republicans spend most of their time making fun of Democrats. You got to put a mirror up to yourself and take a look at yourself and realize you might just be the insane party. So we're going to talk a little bit about how social media really thrives off of negativity, which is something that has to change as Facebook just got over a trillion dollars. That's what they say. It's worth about a trillion bucks and it ain't going anywhere as it expands all across the world to be used by governments for whatever use they want. And uh, that is often not a good thing when it comes to freedom. Anyway, we will talk about all that on the next episode. But now enjoy this conversation with Ellie Rushforth. I, uh, I think you're going to like it. All right, everyone. Now it is time for our interview with a lawyer from the ACLU. We're going to talk all about reproduction rights, the Supreme Court, and uh, the ins and outs of what's going on with the issues facing millions and millions of Americans today. We are honored to have with us Ellie Rushforth. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ellie. Thanks. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. I am so excited to have it with you as well. All of us, Travis and Fernando, will also be asking some questions here uh, as we continue our conversation. But the first thing that I want to talk about, obviously, we know a lot about what's going on with the Supreme Court regarding Roe v. Wade and some of the steps that uh, some of the more conservative justices would like to take regarding Roe v. Wade. Obviously, this has been a long game for a long time from people on the right to make sure to get people on the Supreme Court, such as Amy Coney Barrett, who have promised to do away with Roe v. Wade. But before we get to that, I want to talk about a story that is totally under the radar, and I don't think that it should be, and it's just so disgusting and disturbing. And that has to do with immigrant uh, detention centers and forced hysterectomies and forced sterilization. This is happening in this country right now. Uh, we know for a fact at least 40 women have submitted testimonies uh, claiming that this abuse occurred. Uh, they underwent invasive and unnecessary procedures. And this is just so like it's just insane to think that this is happening in 2021 and no one's talking about it. And I just feel like this subject needs to be more in the forefront of people's minds as we talk about autonomy, as we talk about human rights, as we try to uh, remind people that immigrants are human beings who deserve human rights and dignity. This is so invasive and horrible. Can you just talk a little bit about what the heck is going on when it comes to forced sterilizations with our immigrant population? Sure, I absolutely can. And and you're right. This is horrible. And unfortunately, this is not a new phenomenon in our country. You know, so before I get into any conversation with folks about abortion, contraception, reproductive health rights and justice, I like to acknowledge that we all come to these conversations with our own beliefs, our own mm -hmm. experiences, and we can all hold complex and sometimes contradictory beliefs about sure. these issues, right? And so I invite us and your listeners to sort of hold space for that. You know, these these are personal and sometimes complicated issues to, to yeah. talk about. And, you know, so I strive to do my work from a reproductive justice lens. Okay. And so what that means, uh, like I'm a reproductive rights lawyer. That means I advocate at the legislature. I go to court. And to ensure that there are rules and regulations and laws to protect our individual reproductive rights. Right. What reproductive justice does is uh, it's attendant to the social inequalities that shape the lives of historically 
excluded women and people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it understands that the historical exploitation of women and girls and others through their reproduction, their labor and their sexuality. And so this story about forced sterilization, forced invasive medical procedures is just part of a long history that goes back to the very beginning of this country. Hmm. And so it's a really important framework to understand that this didn't come out of this didn't come out of nowhere. Right. Um, well, could you bring our audience and, and, and sure. us as well? Like, what are some of the, I guess, foundation blocks yeah. that led to us now having a situation where someone is, uh, you know, sterilized against mm-hmm. their will on the border? Absolutely. So, you know, starting, you know, hundreds of years ago. Right. We have. Oh, we have to get in the way, way back we machine. Ha- we <laughs> have to get in the way, way back machine. Whoa. All right. Fun um, ride. And it's not going to be a fun ride. <laughs> OK, great. Horrible ride. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And, and awful ride. <laughs> OK, good. Um, oh, no. So, you know, this particularly I mean, yes, all women, but particularly for women of color, the control of their reproductive lives, our reproductive lives, has been a foundation of this country. Mm -hmm. So going back to the time of slavery, right? Slave owners forced African women to carry pregnancies and give birth as a means of amassing wealth for their captors. Mm. This was one of many, many abuses that enslaved women faced and, and so starting all the way back then, and, and excuse me, going back even further, the genocide of indigenous peoples in this country, women and children were systematically killed and captured to prevent their culture from continuing. Yeah, from procreating, sure. Exactly. And so, you know, here we are. 2021, <laughs> you know, and let me even go, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. So in the early 1900s, so we're talking about 1600, you know, 1600s, right? right? Fast forward to the 1800s, Congress passes the Page Act, which effectively ended the entry of unmarried Asian women into this country as a means of limiting family development. Mm. Fast forward a little bit to the early 1900s, um, Native American children are sent to boarding schools to assimilate and we're We know this, but it's becoming very clear that those boarding schools were highly abusive. And you've probably seen in the news, right, lately, that um, hundreds of children were lost and killed. And and so. Yeah, of course, we just had that story in Canada. I believe they just Mm -hmm. unearthed Mm -hmm. a mass grave. Mm -hmm. Um, We hear about this regular. I mean, there was the stories uh, in Ireland recently or relatively recently about uh, the mass graves for the children there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that we have our own mass graves right here as well. Mm -hmm. And this is this is these are entire generations that are being wiped out. Right. Fast forward to the night. You know, 1900s, Indiana became the first state to pass a law allowing the forced sterilization of, quote, confirmed criminals, idiots and imbeciles. So why do we have a civilization now? I don't understand how anyone (laughs) passed that test, especially in Indiana. Yeah, that's everyone in Indiana. (laughs) But it really shows, right, coercive sterilization of people who are incarcerated has been in our history for for hundreds of years. And as recently as, gosh, I think, 
you know, 1970s, 1980s in California, the state was sterilizing women in their prison systems. And so this is all connected, right? right? We are engaging in reproductive oppression, reproductive coercion for historically excluded people. And as we have entered a place where there's so much rhetoric that dehumanizes that others, people who are incarcerated, people Mm -hmm. who are immigrants, people of color, Mm -hmm. it's not a hard leap to make that we'll see forced sterilization, forced hysterectomy that is systematic by our government. So this is what's so, um, and you you mentioned how it's it's difficult to hold a few truths in your mind at the same mm-hmm. time. In some cases, I think it just leads to outright hypocrisy, specifically if you look at someone, you know, who might be a Mike Pence Republican or someone who is very strong on the religious right. Again, someone who is thrilled that Amy Coney Barrett is uh, is on the Supreme Court. I say her specifically just because she loves she loves uh, talking about her religion, which is so nice and comforting for me as someone who is uh, not really a theist to have that person be one of the most nine powerful people in the world. They often talk about abortion, uh, how abortion is horrible and they would like to see abortion banned. But then in the same token, they are at the very least not coming out against something like forced sterilization, which you could make a strong case. If you are super pro-life, you would be against forced uh, sterilization. So what are the different political realities that force these two totally divergent reactions But also, as you mentioned, it is about the power. It is about suppressing people. So in one case, they're like, you're going to have that baby. And in another case, they're like, you're not going to have that baby. And both of the power, both all of the strings are being pulled by the same folks who are in power. But what are the different political realities that lead to those two different sort of outcomes? That's a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I, I will answer it hopefully pretty simply white supremacy and misogyny Mm. and the underpinnings of many of our institutions, many of our leaders, um, all comes back to who we value, whose reproduction we value, whose participation in society we value. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, those are the, it all, all roads lead back to white supremacy and misogyny and the ability of people and institutions to completely disassociate from reality. Right, right. Now, what about the argument that can be made as far as like, um, you know, with Planned Parenthood and there was some some of the history of Planned Parenthood, uh, you know, Margaret Sanger, the OG, the originator of it, she had some pretty problematic views when it comes to race and things like that. So when we talk about white supremacy or when we talk about um, sort of white philosophy being paramount in this country, it's not necessarily indicative of someone who was on the right or the left. It, this is something that has to be seen as really an overcompassing issue that has to no one no one's hands are clean in this. Absolutely not. And that is that is I'm so glad you phrased it that way, right? Because there is a huge problem and there has been a huge problem in not only uh, you know sort of the the first wave feminist movement, but the subsequent movements for reproductive rights, and that's really when the reproductive justice movement 
identified and it was founded um, or the, the term was coined by 12 black women okay. in 1994. Oh, wow. Um, so this is relatively new. It's relatively new. And it was, you know, created, this framework was created as an effort to join social justice and reproductive rights because mm-hmm. women of color, you know, the most system impacted people were left out truly left out mm-hmm. of, you know, the modern day reproductive rights movement. Well, I won't say the modern day, but, you know, sort of the, um, the, the movement for reproductive rights. And again, yeah. it comes back to white supremacy. Whose reproduction, whose participation do we value? Right. And so there is so much work to be done. No one is a perfect advocate. No one is a perfect ally. And, and you're absolutely right. You cannot unpack these historical injustices and modern day injustices from from the reproductive rights movement. Right. So now as we're seeing, and this is one of those areas where I I do think there could be a massive crossover appeal when it comes to, you know, social libertarians, small L liberal um, leaning people, there should be a massive Venn diagram of support for reproductive rights and for allowing people to have the C word choice, which I think is so paramount uh, because we don't know what the individual lives of folks are. And if you have wide uh, stretching legislation, words are words and a paragraph is one thing, but how does it actually manifest itself Mm -hmm. in reality? We don't know what these people have gone through in every individual case, which is why choice is so important. But now we have something like what's going on in Arkansas, for example, which is basically one of the more aggressive states when it comes to just straight up banning abortion outright, like no can do in any for whatever the reasons may be. Perhaps there's a small carve out for some medical situations, even though I don't know how much that would be carved out if you're in Arkansas. So what is it? I can tell you. Tell me, please. (laughs) I can tell you when we when we legislate to the exception, it, it doesn't work for anybody. And ultimately, these personal decisions that people are are making will be made by somebody else, will be made for them. And let me ask you a question. Think about a time when you had to make a personal medical decision. Who did you involve in that decision? My dogs. Your dogs, (laughs) your loved ones, your doctor. Probably, right? Did you call your senator? No, say, I did not. Hey, I, I, Senator. <laughs> truly, the probably my most serious medical condition ever. I was 21. And I got deep vein thrombosis and I had a little blood clot. So I had to go to the hospital and it's emotional. It sucked when the doctor's like, you might have to spend the night. Now it's like, am I going to miss my Seinfeld? Oh, no. And it sucks. So, yes, it's my it was the doctor and it was my parents. Those are the people that I called and those are the people that needed to know. And it's it, even it's not it's not that it's embarrassing. It's just that I don't want to put this on anyone else. And I just want this to be. Yeah, absolutely. As you just said, it's a very personal decision. And that just involved deep vein thrombosis. So I can't imagine what it involves when it comes to the emotional impact of uh, of, of all the things that entail pregnancy. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'd like to share a few facts with you about abortion care in this country, please. So nearly one in three women will have an abortion in her lifetime. So that means everyone loves somebody who's had an abortion. Right. 60% of women who have had an abortion are already parents. Trans men, gender non-binary folks also need access to and have abortions, right? right? But, you know, much like women's health 
trans, gender, and um, gender non-binary health remains woefully underfunded, woefully understudied, and woefully inaccessible. So abortion is safe. It has a 99, 99% of patients report no complications. I suspect your treatment for, um, well, anyway, <laughs> I won't get into comparing medical, uh, medical care. But yeah, but we, we know that deep vein thrombosis definitely has less of a success rate than 99%. Like, sure. perhaps yes. it does. Yes, we, we also know dogs are experts in the disease. Oh, my dogs are very good. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess. So IKEA makes storage affordable. So when it comes to when we talk about treatment, when we talk about uh, uh, access to places like Planned Parenthood, but there's so many other clinics out there, um, so many other places that go and uh, and help people who are in need in the, uh, when they're having these situations. What what does that actually look like when we shut things down? So like in Texas, for example, um, again, also the irony is that they want to do away with birth control and they want to get rid of all of these things that are technically preventative. If you if you are so uh, you know concerned and, and whatever you know people are allowed to have their beliefs and and many of those beliefs are not mean spirited but then of course you also have had to uh, have access to things like birth control but what does that look like when we start shutting down these health facilities not just in we can talk about it in the context of abortion but also just in the context of what it means to be a human being and have to go seek medical attention so what's the life of someone let's take a migrant let's take somebody who um is let's Take, let's start with someone who is not a citizen. What is their path to any kind of health care, whether it be reproductive or anything else? Do they have anything? <laughs> well, it gets really complicated. And I'm so glad you you asked about health care in general, right? Because we have a tendency to take abortion care out of that. Right. Abortion care is highly regulated, just like all other medical care. And the reason it has been removed from the conversation is purely political. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so when we talk about access to healthcare, we're talking about access to life-saving and, and care that can, um, you know, well, so, so what does it look like when somebody's trying to access healthcare? Yeah. Um, I live in New Mexico. So we are a state with a significant immigrant population. Mm -hmm. Many families um, are mixed status. Some folks are, many folks are undocumented. And in New Mexico, we have, we have checkpoints. Um, we have immigration checkpoints. Mm -hmm. And, and so where I come Seems from. Seems a little unnerving. The, the show me your papers, please. Mm -hmm. uh, sentence being uttered in this country is not exactly comforting, but okay. It's not. And, and so, you know, I live in Albuquerque. 
And that's a place where, you know, we have relatively limited access to healthcare in New Mexico. We're a pretty rural state. Um, You know, major medical facilities are not widely available. And most experts and specialists reside in Albuquerque. So if you live somewhere, you know, south of Albuquerque and you have to drive up the the highway, you have to go through a checkpoint. So, so Mm. think about that. If you're somebody who's undocumented and you live, say in Las Cruces and you need to get to a medical appointment in Albuquerque, you have to also take time off of work, find childcare, find a method of transportation and risk your safety to come get your healthcare. And so, you know, legal rights are, like you said, they're on a piece of paper, they're paragraphs on a page. Access is what matters. And so as we, and we got a real taste of this during the pandemic, particularly in New Mexico. And, And I can talk about this within the context of abortion care. So, what we saw early on in the pandemic, states were, were uh, exploiting this global health crisis to take their shot at banning abortion. Okay, how did they do that? Through executive orders, through uh, public health orders. And so, and Texas, how the hell does that have anything to do with what we were struggling with during COVID? Yeah. Great question. Doesn't. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. That's why when my friends are always like, politics don't make sense. I'm like, that's on purpose. Because yes, correct. Uh, it's nefarious. It doesn't. And it's intentional, right? Yes. Um, and, and people of means will always be able to access the care that they need. Absolutely. People without means won't. And, and so, you know, in states like New Mexico, where we just successfully removed um, the last vestiges of an old abortion ban that was passed pre-Roe, um, that was unenforceable, you know, we're seeing and we will see huge increases in people traveling here to get the care that they need. It's simply unacceptable. And right. so these challenges that people face, all kinds of people face in accessing healthcare. And I didn't even mention affordability, right? If, you, right. if you're undocumented, you don't have health insurance. And, and if you are an immigrant um, and, and not, not a citizen yet, you have limited access to health insurance or health care. And, and so we are creating these huge barriers for people just to survive that are completely unjust, in my opinion, completely unconstitutional. And the efforts that states across the country are taking to push healthcare out of reach for the most system impacted people are just cruel. Right, right. And so I, I guess this question is maybe impossible to answer, so I'll ask it. Um, <laughs> but why? What's the end game then? You know, I, I'm reminded talking about duality, uh, you know, and I'm going to use a term here that is extremely offensive and I fucking hate it, but uh, people refer to anchor babies and mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, they like to procreate and so then they can stay here forever. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they refuse access uh, to much needed medical care and things like that. What is the goal for these people um, that are in power to make sure that these other people see themselves as an other? What's the political end game? How does that how wh- why is this so systemic? Why is this still happening? Because, again, there's so many different things you have to marry in your mind. And it's that's why politics, they say it makes strange bedfellows, which is how we got here, isn't it? Um, but it is 
so frustrating to understand why they implement these rules and regulations. And it, until you do that, it makes everything such it's such a mirage of ideas. And it's all such like shallow, weird bullshit. What do you think their end game is as an ACLU lawyer? You know, people who are in power, you know how much they love it. What's the goal? Is it just to destabilize populations that are already unstable? You know, it's not an impossible question to answer. It's power and control and maintaining power and control. And I'll keep coming back to it. It's it's prioritizing and valuing people who look like you and believe the same things you do. Yeah. Probably not a satisfactory answer, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, and I think that's my, that's my view on things, right? Power and control. People mm. do have deeply held beliefs, deeply held personal beliefs on these issues. And I can't discount that. What I do take issue with is the villainization of community members, friends, family, neighbors, the stigmatization of private decisions for political capital. Yeah. Do you think that this ever should have been such a, as far as abortion as a wedge issue, would you have liked to see it in a perfect world where this was just taken much like COVID that got totally politicized and I'm like, oh, okay, we can't even have a conversation anymore. Is, is abortion with the politicization of it, has it just, has it made the conversation even possible? Because to even start the conversation, you have to get through so much other bullshit and you have to get through so much other stuff in people's minds before we can get to the truth, which is an individual who might be scared shitless, who has to go and get a medical procedure done because their life is on the line. It just must be done, whatever. And then you have all of this other stuff, like an albatross all around it, bringing down the conversation. Do you wish that we just did not have such a politicized vision of healthcare in this country? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the fact that medical care, healthcare access is a political issue is is a problem. Um, I also think it's worth it wading through all of those things you mentioned. Um, I think, and right, like, you know, you mentioned somebody going through a really complicated time. You know, sometimes it's not complicated. Right. Sometimes somebody just doesn't want to be pregnant. Right. And that needs to be okay too. Right. And, and so, you know, what we know is that many people, people of all faiths, all political backgrounds can hold their own moral views about abortion specifically, mm -hmm. but other, you know, other, other issues, other political issues, and still respect the personal decisions somebody else makes. Right. We know that. We know that to be true. What is a problem is when rhetoric overtakes reality Yes, and, and we can't even get to that, that first point of conversation. And so, you know, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth waiting through. That's why I do this I mean, work. Have, have you experienced yourself backlash for your profession? Because, you know, you talk about rhetoric and you talk about, you know, the uh, aggressive nature of some people who... Uh, might disagree with uh, with uh, with you or with us on this, and it can be freaking dangerous. This, it's not like fun. <laughs> like as a lawyer, I mean, you must 
you must really deal with things. You you deal with things on the on the ground, you know. And have you have you had to deal with a lot of like you know violence or uh, violent rhetoric? I know the ACLU is constantly a target, even though I love the ACLU. The yeah. ACLU defends people that I actually freaking hate, like Nazis, and the ACLU would be like, oh, they can be assholes. Like, I love the ACLU so freaking much. I can't even tell you how much I love what you all do because it's truly protecting our freedoms as a people. Well, um, I deeply appreciate that. I love the ACLU too. Um, and nothing is perfect. Right. Um, so. That must be difficult, though, to deal with like people being like, yo, fuck you, dude. And you're like, I, I don't know. Talk you to know, your daughter. <laughs> you know, it is and it isn't. Um, so, yes, I, I have had to deal with my fair share of, of that. Um, and I am not an abortion provider. I am not um, somebody who, or or an, uh, somebody who works in reproductive health care, and I am not somebody who has to face daily threats to my safety, my family's safety. Um, I am not somebody who has to walk past threatening, menacing, anti-abortion extremists on my way to a medical appointment or on my way to my job. Right. So, yes, you know, we we reproductive rights advocates are on the ground and we are doing this work and we do put ourselves out there. And it, <laughs> frankly, it doesn't matter because the work needs to get done because right. people need access to to the care that they need. And um, and so. So those folks that are facing. The daily hate, the daily violence those are the folks that that I think about. Right, and those are the people that you defend. When it comes to the Supreme Court, it does seem like we have seen a, a movement when it comes to Roe v. Wade. The movement is always there. They have now, uh, I mean, that was the thing with Trump. A lot of evangelicals voted for him because he's, he's, he's uh, what did they say? He's uh, the, no, the vessel or some shit. He's the messenger and the messenger's all flawed and fat and weird and stuff, <laughs> um, whatever. But they were like, oh, we can deal with all of this other very non-Christian, traditionally Christian um, thought or actions because he's going to get uh, the conservatives we like on the Supreme Court. Do you think that we are living in a time where Roe v. Wade is under threat because we have been so far removed from abortion being illegal federally? Um, so people don't remember. I mean, God, no, I was born in 1981. Uh, I have no idea what America was like uh, pre Roe v. Wade. And I think a lot of people don't know. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about like, let's say Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's done. Next person comes in. This shit's all illegal. What does America look like? What does a state like in Arkansas, New Mexico, uh, perhaps California doesn't change. Perhaps New New York doesn't change, whatever. Maybe some more uh, places, Oregon or whatever. But what does that look like for people growing, living in, in states like, like a Texas that's constantly, you know, fighting back and forth with this? In many states, the protections that Roe guaranteed are essentially meaningless already. Really? Really. And to your point, you know, yes, many people don't remember what it was like. I, I don't remember what it was like. I wasn't around then. But that's why intergenerational collaboration, coalition is so important. We can't forget these things. We can't forget that people were, were suffering, were dying, and continue 
you know, to do so because they can't access healthcare that they need. Right. So, so right now we already live in a patchwork of access. There are gestational bans, um, which means, you know, after a certain week, certain states ban the procedure already. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we hear mm-hmm. like 20 week bans or something mm-hmm. like that. And I hear 20 weeks and you're like, oh, I guess that's a, that's a pretty good amount of time, I guess, 20 weeks. But of course, in the context of something like a pregnancy, this like time isn't really like that. It's not like 20 weeks of going to work at, at, at uh, Microsoft. Can you talk a little bit about why when we hear something like a 20 week ban or post 20 week ban, why is that a red flag? Why is that something dangerous? Just to sort of let the audience because, you know, I have very normal or whatever. I have very (laughs) rational thinking friends, I think. And, you know, it is one of those things where you hear 20 weeks. You're like, that's that seems like plenty of time to schedule an appointment, but it's different. So can you talk a little bit about why that? sort of, yeah. I don't know, just what, just, just, just explain yeah. that to me, my big dumbass. How much time do you have? <laughs> 13 years. <laughs> so, so what has essentially happened post row almost immediately, we started seeing challenges to access and, you know, we have the legal framework. We have Roe, we have her sister cases, Casey, whole women's health, a whole canon of privacy rights and abortion cases. And immediately post row we started seeing states attack and restrict this right. And so that can look like a lot of things. It can look like bans on insurance covering abortion care. It can look Mm. like forced uh, waiting periods. It can look like forced parental involvement. And it can look like these, these gestational bans. And so how we've gotten here, right, is that we are ignoring the reality that we've created around abortion care in this country. And so for many people, you know, we we can't put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who is deciding to have an abortion. And and when we talk about abortion later in pregnancy and these um, gestational bans, we are putting ourselves in a, a place of of judgment, of pretending that we understand the complications that somebody might face in accessing care. And so, so right on the surface level, we think, oh yeah, this certain amount of time, people should be able to take care of things. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that, you know, folks that live in states with limited access, you know, some states only have one provider and, and some states well, <laughs> I mean, some states require you to take, um, you know, there's a forced waiting period. So then you have to take time off of your work twice. You might have to travel two, three, four, 500 miles to your first appointment where you are then forced to listen to uh, state mandated lies about abortion care. Then you have to go back home. You've already had to figure out childcare. And in the meantime, it's getting more expensive. And because insurance, you know, particularly Medicaid, bans coverage for abortion you have to get your dollars together right and um and so again you know we live we live in two americas right one where you're able to access abortion care and one where you're not and so like we don't know what led a person to get an abortion when many people decide early and are able to access care early many people decide early and are not able to access care Right. Mm. And and 
so these these arguments about um, regulating abortion later in pregnancy really ignore the reality and, and our distorted representations, right, about the women who access care and the highly trained professionals that provide it. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about like heartbeat bills and things like that, because to me, that seems um, it's kind of a double edged sword. Right. Because, again, um, you you might not find out, uh, it, you know, for a longer period of time that you're pregnant, especially if you didn't. I've watched MTV and there was a show called I can't believe I was pregnant or some shit like that. I forget. <laughs> but, you know, so these bills, can you talk? What is so when you hear something like a heartbeat bill? Yeah. Um, it pulls on the heartstrings, and but what does it actually mean? Because you know, all there's so much, so much shit legislation. Horrible legislation <laughs> is just like this is the, the lollipop for every child legislation, and then you find out <laughs> they're all being selling the kids to Epstein or something. Um, like legislation, oftentimes is named very nice, and what the legislation actually does is absolutely horrible. So, can you talk a little bit about the catch twenty two? Of, of that sort of legislation. And then I want to talk to you about Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, because I know that's a case going on right now and we can kind of nerd out about that. But yes. just just briefly, when it comes to like yeah. the, the rhetoric and the naming behind legislation versus what that legislation actually looks like in reality, can you just explain a little bit about, uh, about that? Yes, I absolutely can. And this is where, you know, <laughs> we all need to pay very close attention and think critically about mm -hmm. the message we're hearing about abortion and ask ourselves, what assumptions are we making, right? Like, where are these messages coming from? Are they coming from trusted sources based on actual medicine, science and patient well-being? No, they're not. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll skip to it. They're not. <laughs> and, and, and you're right. These well-funded strategic arguments and, and messages are coming from high, highly organized and well-funded places. And they're designed to do exactly what, what you said. They're designed to um, misinform, they're designed to um, stigmatize, and they're stigmatized, excuse me, and they're designed to mislead. And so what we know is that, you know, the majority of this country supports safe and legal access to abortion. Mm -hmm. And and when we see legislation that, you know, we can call them heartbeat bans, we can or heartbeat bills, but what they are are abortion bans mm -hmm. and they are not supported by any major medical association. They are not supported by advocacy organization. When, you know, they are not based in reality. What mm -hmm. they are are abortion bans. And and you're right, you know. There are highly educated and savvy folks working to push abortion care out of reach for millions of people. You know, I'm so happy that you gave them that amount of uh, accolade because one of my pet peeves when it comes to like George W. Bush, he's a war criminal and, you know, R.I.P. Rumsfeld. But the one of my big pet peeves is when they call them dumb. There's nothing dumb yeah. about him. Dick Cheney yeah. is not dumb. George W. Bush is not dumb. These people are yeah. actually highly manipulative sociopaths. And that requires a level of intelligence. Trump might truly be dumb, but that's a whole nother <laughs> thing. <laughs> but even Trump is smart in his own. He has an emotional intelligence, obviously. Uh, he's able to uh, emotionally connect with, uh, with large groups of people. Uh, but I think that that is so important to remember, yeah. is that this isn't just like Deputy Dewey stumbling across the line. Like, this isn't cute. It's like, that's what pissed me off about that movie Vice so freaking much, where it's just like, he's just an alcoholic who is looking for a good time and a new job. 
He can go fuck himself. They're all manipulative. They're all very smart. And so what are some of the institutions or what are some of the um, what are some of the groups that are pushing this stuff? So when our audience sees sponsored by, you know, focus on the family or sponsored by like where they can be like, oh, that's a red flag. So what I'm reading is no longer informative. It's propaganda. (laughs) Oh, man, that's, uh, you know, I'd rather not super get into um I'd rather, you know what it is? It's not, not giving the opposition airtime. All right. Um, <laughs> and so you can, you can take a look at um, the folks that are uh, plaintiffs in a lot of this litigation, the lawyers that are on the masthead. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about folks that are, are actively protecting um, and working to expand this right. But Ooh, stay in Why positive. give him airtime? Wow, <laughs> Ellie Rushforth breaking the rules of news. You're supposed to throw these people under the bus, don't you? Didn't you watch Fox? Um, all right, no, well, let's... I have. <laughs> no, I don't. I, television news is a it's a poison in many ways. It stopped being news a long time ago, probably in 1996. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Let's talk then a little bit about Dobbs versus Jackson's mm-hmm. Jackson Women's Health Organization, because I know this is on the docket for the Supreme Court. Uh, this will be, I believe they'll be hearing this case in this year. Is that right? In the October 2021 Supreme Court okay. term, I, I, I think it's likely that it will be this fall. Um, okay. But that's that's speculation. I don't think it's been calendared yet. So can you talk to us a little bit? Because this is something that we in the audience can follow along in real time. Mm-hmm. You can watch your C-SPANs. They'll show it. Or SCOTUS TV, which isn't nearly as pornographic as it sounds. <laughs> um, what is uh, what is this all about? Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Where did it come about? Why is it happening? Sure. So Mississippi uh, passed a law in 2019 that was immediately challenged by the last remaining abortion provider in Mississippi, uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, It was brought by the Center for Reproductive Rights. And um, it does uh, this law did a couple of things. But what we're going to be hearing at the Supreme Court is a debate on the ban on abortion at 15 weeks of pregnancy, clearly unconstitutional, clearly violates 50 plus years of precedent. And the second piece that I think is so important um, that certainly is not getting enough attention is that we're here again with a challenge to third party standing. So 
in June Medical Services um, v. Russo, a case that was decided last year, this this issue came up again. And it's sort of a new, uh, new and, and Can you clarify that just really yes. quickly? What's yes. third party standing mean? Third party standing is the idea that there are um, potential plaintiffs that um, can represent the interests of others adequately in court. And okay. so I think it was 1976, Singleton versus Wolf. And it was a case brought by two doctors who were challenging a ban on abortion coverage. Okay. So this was, you know, the case was litigated and everything. But one of the questions was, can these um, abortion care providers stand in the shoes and adequately represent the interests of their patients? Absolutely, they can. Um, and so that's, you know, several decades of precedent. And so what the question is, and we saw in last year in June Medical Services v. Russo, same question. Can abortion care providers have third-party standing um, to represent the interests of their patients uh, when challenging abortion regulations? The court essentially said yes. And so the fact that this is another issue, so we've got a clearly unconstitutional ban on ab abortion that they decided that they were going to hear. We've also got a well-settled precedent on abortion providers um, being able to challenge abortion regulations. Coincidentally, <laughs> this law regulates abortion providers. So I, I can't even understand the logic right. of, of, of arguing that abortion providers cannot adequately defend the interests of abortion providers and their patients. And so that's sort of a wonky thing to pay attention to, but it would dramatically impact the ability of abortion providers, patients, and advocates to bring challenges against abortion restrictions in the future if they, if they did away with this, this precedent. So Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, that's Thomas E. Dobbs is the Dobbs. He is the state health officer of the wonderful state of Mississippi. So that is uh, the Dobbs in this case. So what should people expect when they start to follow this case? Like what core things should we have in our brain as as people who are not lawyers, Miss Lawyer, ma'am? Um, as people who are not lawyers, like what should, what terminology should we be paying attention to? Yeah. And like, what kind of, like, how do we follow this properly? Yes. I love that question. Terminology. So, so we should be paying attention to the test that the court decides to use. So right now it has been reaffirmed over and over again, the test that we use to balance the interests when analyzing an abortion restriction is the undue burden test. And, and there, there's some other things, but that, that is something that, that your listeners um, should be paying attention to mm -hmm. because what this case could do is allow the court to completely rewrite 50 plus years of precedent and, you know, the worst possible outcome, right? Overrules Roe, abortion becomes illegal in 20 plus states and how possible you know, do you think that is it's entirely possible i think yeah. it's i think um you know this is all speculation um i'm not litigating the case i think you know we have a lot to fear besides just an outright overturning of of roe okay um you know what i fear <laughs> and and what many of my colleagues fear 
is there isn't an, an outright overruling of Roe. There isn't. And so there's not a headline, right? A scary mm. headline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and people, there isn't a public outcry um, because instead of this, this major overruling of, of 50 plus years of precedent, we get the Supreme, the Supreme Court decides to give states permission to effectively overturn Roe themselves. Right. And so, you know, what they could do is uphold the 15 week ban. Um, and, and that would have the greatest impact on, you know, people, not of means people who learned, exactly. you know, later in pregnancy of, um, you know, a diagnosis, people with changed circumstances. Yeah. So I, mean, I went to Catholic school. There were certainly some, some ladies who took a long weekend. It happens all the time in Catholic, or, you know, not just in Catholic school, but when you have money, you just go mm-hmm. away for a week and, you know, but of course, so this only hurts or this mostly hurts you know the people who are already struggling to make ends meet in this country which is why we have systemic poverty Mm -hmm. and which is why we have a basically a caste system with the erosion of the middle class as well i mean what we can hope for (laughs) you know so that's sort of the worst case scenario right um but in reality that already exists for millions of people right um you know what we can hope for is something like casey you know that that says you know Roe is you know we just need to rework the framework we can we can sort of hope for you know we we affirm the underlying premise that this is the privacy right we affirm that Casey Whole Woman's Health and you know all the sister cases were decided correctly and this is really a question about whether or not this court is going to respect precedent. Do you think that they will? Because it seems as if. Um, <laughs> Especially uh, perhaps uh, perhaps Kavanaugh and uh, and Amy Coney um, specifically, uh, 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 Gorsuch I don't think is is quite as radical in some ways, but it seems like there's some some people who might uh, not really care. What do you think about the specific (laughs) nine that we have right now um, on the Supreme Court? Do you think it's kind of a radical court in some ways? You know, I think this is it's a. I don't think we're really going to know what this court is like for another five, six years. Um, I think, you know, I have my own personal thoughts and opinions about the justices and their records, but, you know, this is the first time since Roe and, and the first time this new court is hearing a case that involves a total ban on abortion. Are you surprised that they took it? Cause talk about a, it's a hot potato. I am surprised that they took this case. And I think many constitutional scholars who know much more than I do about the Supreme Court are surprised that they took this case because it is so clearly unconstitutional and it was so clearly, um, (laughs) you know, it, it, it so clearly violates precedent. And so am I surprised? Yeah. Um, disappointed. Yes. (laughs) Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that you know we won't undo this fundamental proposition that right. every pregnant person has the right to privacy and that's what the most important aspect of it is it is it is yeah absolutely travis or fernando do you guys have anything you want to you wanted to ask yeah i i'd love to ask ellie um so I, i've run for uh public office here in ohio uh several times as a libertarian so i always you can tell he's disheveled to- Yes, I've lost my way. Campaigning um, is hard. But <laughs> campaigning is hard, especially when you're going to tea party meetings and literally like 
the last question they ask you is, I liked everything you said, but I got to know, are you pro-life? And it really is just like one of those, almost like a, a single issue voter yes, it is. Um, for a lot of people these people will vote against. I'm sorry to interrupt, but people will vote against their own best interests for these, you know, anyway, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I want to ask Ellie about, because, you know, you mentioned Mississippi and I remember when they passed that in 2019, one of the news outlets ran pictures of the whole state Senate that passed the bill. And, you know, they're all the big, they're all, they all look like the same big fat white guy and they're all named Tom, <laughs> Dave or Louie. And, um, <laughs> But here in Ohio, you know, we've had a heartbeat bill. We um, just in December, they passed the fetal remains bill. And what the what, what was the that Ohio Republican? And that's where if a woman gets an abortion, that she is then required to pay for the burial as if it were um, a live, you know, a once alive human. Um, oh, that's just psychological and that's, and that's warfare. Okay. Well, and the fascinating thing, Ellie, that the Ohio Republican Party does is um, they they will roll out conservative women to be in favor of these, you know, in testimony. And certainly they have Republican women legislators who actually sponsor um, these bills. So I have to know, you know, as a as a female lawyer who's on one side of the issue, as you are, how do you talk to other female lawyers? Mm. Like, you know, Amy Coney Barrett's, the, these female Republican legislators who are just very pro-life, despite the fact what you said about one in three women have gotten an abortion. We know now that one in five women um, could, could have been raped. I mean, it's, it's almost like these women are battling other women. If you can schedule a conversation between me and Justice Coney Barrett, that would be fantastic. I would love it <laughs> yes. to get in a room get her on the phone. and oh really my get God. down together. No, but I mean... These are conversations that I have all the time and it's, you know, I, I, I totally understand, um, the question, right? Like how on earth are women on opposite sides of this? But this is where I come back to everybody can hold their own personal views about abortion. Um, and it just comes back to coming to a conversation openly, respectfully, um, and, and knowing that we're not going to align on, on everything. Um, we're not going to align on most things and, you know, extremism, white supremacy, misogyny takes all forms. And so, you know, really everybody has a role in this conversation. And, Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) we need everybody. I'm so like, you know, I was so excited to be invited to have this conversation with you all. And, um, you know, we need, we need folks to be willing to dig in and have the conversation. And, you know, it's not about having a difference of opinion because difference of opinion on this is completely acceptable. I think that's the point you've been making, mm-hmm. Ellie. Uh, it's just about the law. It's just yeah. the law must allow choice. That's it. It's, you know, we can. You, yeah. A lot of conservatives don't believe the Constitution is a living document. I personally see it as a living document in many ways. But now, of course, uh, many of those people who don't see it as a living document are about to change it, perhaps yeah. uh, after 50 years of precedent, which is, uh, you know, completely counterintuitive to many of their thoughts. Yeah. But again, that's uh, that's the strange world of American politics. Go on. One thing I wanted to say um, <laughs> before I went off on a tangent with you, Travis, right, <laughs> you know, getting involved locally right? We got to pay attention. You got to pay attention with the school boards, with the county commissions, with the city councils, with the state legislatures. They have incredible power over you, your kids' lives, and we can hold people accountable. We can run for office. We can take a position. 
And, you know, when you have folks come up and say, look, this is my issue. This is all I care about. Take a step back, right? And say, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it actually means to be pro-life. Let's talk about what it actually means to be anti-abortion and what the difference is. Let's talk about what it means to believe in personal decision-making and respecting personal decision-making. Absolutely. I, I have a question, and uh, this may be out of your scope, Ellie, but so we know uh, reproduction rights are different in different locations, mm -hmm. but we know that the needs, the reproduction needs of people are not different in different locations. Everyone across the world, across this country needs the same, the same access to these reproduction rights, the same access to healthcare. My question is, even if the laws change, because, you know, the laws have changed, the laws have come back and forth. What do we do about culturally? Because we are both from New Mexico. That's kind of why I picked you, Ellie, because, you know, you, under, you understand what... Like, yeah, you know, Mexicans. Yeah, you understand kind of what New we're Mexico. going through there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, culturally, it's a very Catholic, a very Latin, very Latin location. How do we, even if the laws change, how do we address the culture of no choice? I love that question. Um, and some of our uh, close partners and allies, um, Strong Families Forward Together Action, Bold Futures, um, and oh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but um, did some deep work and some deep research um, with Latino decisions here in New Mexico. Um, and it's called the rural research and it's exactly this, you know, we make assumptions about people's faith. We make assumptions about people's race, ethnicity, background, age. And we often, before we even come to these conversations, think we know how somebody feels about something. And so we don't even talk yeah. about it. And so you're right. New Mexico is, is deeply Catholic. It's, it's deeply religious in many ways. It also has a pretty strong, you know, rugged individualism streak here yeah. in Mexico. And, and so, you know, th those aren't necessarily unique to our state, but what we know is that having these conversations in, in an open and respectful way and, yep. and really framing it right as personal decision-making and helping people figure out how to talk about things that they've maybe never talked about before. Yes. That's re it's really scary for many people to say abortion. It's really, really scary for a lot of people. And so, you know, creating a space where, you know, maybe we're not trying to convince anybody of anything, but coming from a curious position and understanding that we don't know, we, you know, we make all kinds of assumptions. And yeah. so, um, you know, how do we bridge the, the cultural divide? We talk about it. God knows. And uh, that's what's so sad about the 24 hour news cycle and social media conversations have become more stifled than ever. Obviously, mm -hmm. I just read an article on how Facebook it, it monetizes hate speech. Basically, it's not hate speech per se, but, you know, people be negative towards the out group. They call it the out group. So if you're a Republican, you talk about Dems and, and, and vice versa. And uh, and that's just really horrible. Conversations have been totally stifled. And you're right. You know, people have there's so much duality. You know, I, I look at Vermont, for example, a place that has more guns per capita than any other state or close to it. And would, they would love to have health care as well. Like so many times people <laughs> vote against their own interests. I mean, I'm from Wisconsin originally. And the way the Republicans were able to get, you know, the conservationists, they were able to get nature loving people who theoretically should be 
extremely uh, focused on making sure the environment is safe so they can farm and all that stuff. That's been co-opted and wrapped into all these social issues, whether it be transgender, gay rights or so on and so forth. And it's just really unfortunate that we live in such a binary society where people, they just either don't have the ability or they don't have the desire to like really parse these things out and uh, and figure out where they stand because everyone is really just a la carte. You know, everyone has different political beliefs. Like everyone's political beliefs are purple. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do you meet someone who is a monolith. And if you do, they're like not smart. I feel the same religiously. I mean, uh, I've, I, I for a while even identified as a buffet Catholic. Like there was a buffet the, Catholic. There was little things I like. I don't anymore. But you know, just like the wine. It was a, it was a month or two. Yeah, and but, the wafers, the wafers, the wafers and the wine. I'm fine. I went to Catholic school. I mean, I'm good. I like the horror stories. <laughs> the stations of the cross anyway it really is scary and so, so everyone is like that right is what you guys are all saying it's it's a everyone's a buffet of their beliefs everyone's a buffet of their understanding and that's how we bridge that culture gap yeah. is what you're saying ellie beautiful exactly and the restaurant just has to be called choice because people need to the the government and the supreme court should not be dictating uh, individuals lives especially in these super personal matters that they need to i don't want these these nine grubby supreme court justices Ugh, can can you believe sometimes you look at these people in office and you're like you're making the decisions sheldon whitehouse uh, anyway, so more people need to run for elected office. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Ellie, thank you so much for being on the show. That was really awesome. And thanks for sharing all of your thoughts with our audience. And um, let's see here. I look, I'm looking at your email. The final question you, you, you did say was like what they can do to only, oh, okay, hold on a second. Let me see if I can read. Uh, how do you protect uh, reproductive health for their communities? I think we talked about that run for office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Run for office, get involved locally pay attention, yes. um, get involved with your local reproductive health rights and justice organizations. Um, you know, I work with folks who volunteer, testify, write letters, all sorts of things um, that you can do. Um, and particularly important right now, you know, we're talking a lot about abortion, um, donate to your local abortion funds. You know, more, more folks than ever need help in accessing practical support um, from getting uh, you know, a, a ride uh, to their appointment from paying for childcare, from paying for a mm-hmm. hotel, for paying for their actual healthcare. Um, and these abortion funds are stepping in to fill the gaps and to address the failures of our public health system. Absolutely. And uh, birth control should be given away for free. That's what I say. Um, I just shame my sperm every day. So they're not active. They're sad. <laughs> uh, Ellie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It was awesome. a pleasure. Okay, everyone. There it was. Our conversation with Ellie. Uh, great job, guys. Yeah. That was fun. She was fantastic. I've been thinking a lot about it. You know who's an anchor baby? Who? Trump. Whoa. Whoa. Bill O'Reilly. Fernando. Coming in as Bill O'Reilly. Fernando's coming in Whoa. hot. You know, uh, they, they had him and they got to stay in the country. And look, they live the American dream. Well, I mean, that's why he's, that's why he's so big. He ain't leaving anywhere. He's a balloon baby. Anyway. All right. Travis, anything you want to tell our audience before we let them go? You know, I uh, make a donation to the ACLU. I think it's incredibly yeah. important. Also, um, all 50 states, uh, including where I am uh, right now in Ohio, don't hassle me. I'm a local. Um, we have ACLU <laughs> Ohio. So each state, if you want to get more yes. specific to your state, you can donate to the ACLU in your state or you can donate to their national organization. Uh, again, like you said, Ben, they're guarding all of your rights all of the time. And uh, yeah. we're lucky to have them in this country. 
I love the ACLU. Fernando, any final thoughts? Uh, you know, uh, please uh, not only support them uh, financially, but please support the people in your life culturally. Yes. And uh, please, uh, as we talked a lot about in the conversation, be open to the opinions of other people that don't necessarily agree with you, because that is the only way we're going to come to an agreement. All right. And just lastly, on the Bill O'Reilly front, speaking of birth control, in 2012, he spoke about Sandra Fluke. Uh, that's the woman that Rush Limbaugh called a slut. He says... She's a swat. This is what Bill O'Reilly says. He says, you want me to give my hard-earned money so you can have sex? Clearly wanted society to pay for her activities. Uh, Bill O'Reilly has never worked hard a day in his life. He doesn't deserve any of his money. (laughs) Um, I've been in the room as he was giving his horrible presentation during his television show, making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. He's never written a book, whether it be for kids or adults. The man is uh, nothing but a beneficiary of a bunch of bigotry. So screw Bill O'Reilly, and I hope he has a good time talking with Donald Trump. And can you imagine the snacks in that green room? Anyway, all right, everyone, we'll be back with you very soon. And uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So we'll make sure to inform you of all of the biggest issues, specifically when it comes to infrastructure. We're going to talk about what happened in Miami. And it's happening all over the country, but specifically Miami with that apartment collapse. Holy hell, man, the more we're learning, it never should have happened. It should not be happening in America. This is the wealthiest country in the world. And there's just no reason why you should go to bed and wake up under uh, 12 floors of rubble. Obviously, you don't wake up. Right. You died. So that's it's unbelievably sad. So we're going to talk about that in the context of infrastructure. And anyone who says we don't need it, oh, I don't know. They might be wrong. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.